Bring it home with Sarah and Tanil. Sarah, last week in October. And you know I love this, this whole what, week. What do you love? I love Halloween and we are here. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> Halloween is coming up. Yeah. That's why you're in costume today, I guess. Uh, I'm not in costume. costume. This is what I wear all the <laughs> oh, time. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, you know, Halloween can be scary, you know, for those yes. that participate. But there's something that's real life scary. Okay. And we want to kind of talk to the parents and caregivers and teachers out there because we need to be aware of this information because this week october 24th through 30th is national lead poison prevention week you're right that can be scary and i think that a lot of people don't know a lot of facts about lead poisoning well we don't because the image that comes to my mind when we talk about lead poison is the children and the paint chips yes i had the exact picture come to that or the 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 water situation sadly in so many cities you know flint comes to mind other areas so there's a picture that's bigger than all of that that's right. And we want to discuss that today. So we brought in a guest because we are not the experts in this <laughs> We field. do not talk about lead every day, no. no but we have um, a co-worker that is, is joining us today that um, can answer our questions. Okay. So I would like to introduce Bonnie Hines to our listeners this morning. Bonnie is the State Extension Health Specialist for UT Extension, and she does um, lead education throughout the state. So, yes. Yeah, Bonnie, Hi, Bonnie. for joining us. Well, well, thank you for having me this morning. Yes, part of my um, position is funded by the Tennessee Department of Health to be the statewide education and outreach coordinator for the Tennessee Childhood Lead Poisoning Prevention Program, which is a real mouthful. Girl, we (laughs) need you here today. Particularly at this special time of year when we really try to raise people's awareness. Absolutely. So let's just jump right in because we got lots of questions, Bonnie. Let's go. All right. So one of the main things we want to ask is, you know, how prevalent is this issue really, you know, and who is most at risk for lead poisoning and how many people are usually affected by this? I know that's like a three in one. Well, we don't really know people, you know, personally. (laughs) We'll we'll take it one piece at a time. So for starters, lead poisoning can affect anyone, but it's most virulent health effects are upon younger children, specifically children ages birth to six. And the reason for that is lead is a neurotoxin, which means it affects the brain, and it specifically affects what we call synaptic development, or brain cells finding each other to form intelligence and all of those electrical impulses that make make the systems work the way they need to. Well, that process of brain development is occurring from birth to about age five and a half and lead poisoning disrupts that process of brain development and if that opportunity is missed in early childhood then it's not going to happen later on so brain damage is actually a result of exposure to lead at a young age. How many kids are we talking about, Bonnie? There are about 450,000 children, we believe, who are at risk, and that's based on the age of housing in the United States. Because for the most part, um, lead is related to housing, where a child lives and spends most of his or her time. 
Okay, so is that kind of what we're seeing about the paint? You know, Sarah and I were talking about the, the images we think about with the paint chipping. So are those the types of places that are most likely to have lead right. poison threats? And there are lots of sources of lead, and as we have time, we'll talk about them. But in this country, for most children, their number one exposure source to lead is lead-based paint in their own home or a place where they spend a majority of their time. The United States banned lead-based paint for use in homes in 1978, but any home that predates that period of time is suspect for lead-based paint content, especially those that were built in 1960 or earlier. And what happens with paint and well, well, first let's talk about those images you have of children peeling paint strips off of windowsills and eating them. Those were um, some public service announcements that appeared in the 1990s when we really started paying attention to, to lead and it, its impact on the health of American children. <laughs> Sarah, that's why we saw it. We yeah. were 90s. <laughs> we're 90s teenagers, so we totally remember yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, in fact, if a child were to peel a paint strip, from a windowsill and consume it, that is ingestion, and yes, that child would probably become lead poisoned. Um, lead tastes sweet, they would probably do it again, but the fact is most of our homes, and that's a, a good thing, aren't in that state of disrepair that you can actually see the peeling lead. What, what often happens in homes, in most cases, people have painted over their walls that had lead-based paint, and if they did that at a time when the, the lead-based paint was still in good condition, that's pretty much called encasement, and those walls that have been painted over time after time with non-lead-based paint are probably pretty safe. Well, the that's biggest yeah. Yeah. issue occurs with windows sills and door sills, and that is because... Um, those areas are exposed to lots of activity, opening and closing, raising and lowering, and they're exposed to the effects of weathering. If you think about a window that you've got the sunlight coming in, you've got the moisture gathering, so that paint can degrade down to that lead-based level and you can't see it, you can't smell it, and it degrades into very fine, almost invisible dust. And the biggest risk, and why this is the biggest issue with children and lead poisoning is that they can unknowingly inhale a based paint dust. Oh, wow. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I know. Aspect. So, okay, these images that Sarah and I saw, because they were PSAs, they are obviously a way that lead poisoning occurs through the paint. But we want to quickly talk about some Absolutely other ways. We can, but it's certainly not the most right. common. It's usually right. virtually invisible lead-based paint dust. All right, so let's hit some other ways that we don't see PSAs about uh, that could be some dangerous situations. For example, outside, there's a threat outside that has to do with the soil. How can the soil become a lead poison danger? There are actually two sources in soil. Number one, just like we discussed inside the home before 1978, there is a good chance that a home contains lead-based paint on the interior there's just as likely a chance that the home once had lead-based paint on the exterior. And as that degraded, it ended up in the soil. 
particularly that surrounding the foundation of a home. So if a child plays in the dirt around in the immediate area of his or her home with a shovel, starts turning over the soil, they're likely to encounter lead-based paint particulate that way. And they can either ingest it, they have it on their fingers and then their fingers go in their mouth, or they can inhale it. Um, just like they do in the home. So that's one source. The other is we also had lead content in our gasoline. For anyone who remembers pulling up to the pumps and somebody actually came out to wait on you and they said leaded or unleaded. Oh, gosh, throwback. Uh, yeah. Well, it was actually the middle 1990s before we fully um, withdrew lead content in gasoline. So along particularly heavily traveled highways, if that soil is turned over, there's a quite a likelihood that there's lead particulate that came out through a car's exhaust system in that soil. Well, that's really interesting about yes. that soil. Yes. I want to kind of transition to another source because we did mention that, you know, this weekend is a holiday. No, you mentioned <laughs> that this weekend yes. is a holiday. <laughs> and, uh, but that's kind of pre prelude to a big holiday coming up in a couple months, Christmas. You know, and, and I know we've seen on TV, you know, news reports and things about toys um, so as people are getting ready or maybe already shopping for gifts, how, how, how do, what do they need to be aware of as far as lead poisoning in toys? That's a really great question. Thank you for that, Sarah. I, I, I will tell you that if you know that a toy, toy is manufactured domestically, we have regulations, there won't be lead content, but we do need to be suspect of things that were manufactured overseas if they are if they have paint, if they're painted toys, and if they are vinyl toys. Um, one of the things that lead is useful for, unfortunately, we have that issue that it's also poisonous, is it helps provide stability to items made out of vinyl. Um, so a lot of folks around the holidays shop at dollar stores, particularly looking for stocking stuffers for kids, and that can pose a lot of problems. Um, an example of something made of vinyl that you might find in a dollar store, and it's very popular items. If you think about what we call the little rubber duckies that kids take in the bathtub, they're not actually rubber, they are in fact vinyl. And if they are manufactured somewhere like China or Taiwan or Singapore, there's a good chance that there's a layer oh, well, of lead. I'm guilty of this. <laughs> yeah, um, um, yeah, you're stepping on some toes here, Bonnie, uh, but this is education uh, that we need. So well, we need we'll to- think about what happens with that rubber ducky. So it goes, in the bathtub into hot water. Hot water helps leach lead content. And where else does it often go? In the bathtub and out of the bathtub with a young child? In their in mouth. In their mouth, of course. <laughs> in their mouth, which is another reason why children are at, at higher yeah, risk it makes sense. than adults because of the things they do. And <laughs> one of them is insert things into their mouth. So 
you need to be really careful if you're buying something cheap and vinyl. Um, yeah, people ask great. me a lot of times about pencils that they buy in dollar stores because we erroneously call the writing piece of that lead when in fact it's graphite. But if pencils come from a third world nation, it's possible that the paint on the pencil can contain lead. So we need to be really suspect of inexpensive. <laughs> Yeah. Just, okay, so just, we're gonna we're yeah, gonna spend a little bit more on our stocking yeah. stuffers and our toy gifts this year. But okay, we're getting ready to head into Thanksgiving, um, a Christmas eventually. We pull out our fancy home decor. A lot of us have crystal that we use. How can we safely use our crystal without okay, being a so lead it, threat? Let me start by saying it's called leaded crystal because it has lead content, which is what helps to form those beautiful peaks, those precise peaks that you find in lead crystal that make it so beautiful. Unfortunately, um, that also can make them poisonous. If you pull out that beautiful crystal as a display piece to put ornaments in or other um, decor, that's fine. But if you put food or liquid into leaded crystal then that can leach the lead content so oh, i yeah. urge people not to actually serve foods in it decoration only for decoration and i've got several pieces that say like not for food yeah it, it usually so says that on there make sure yeah. it's so pretty that it people is. sometimes no 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 food and bonnie just to clarify you said vinyl and toys vinyl blinds in our homes is that the same vinyl, vinyl that they use? Vinyl blinds are also affected, and we've had several cases right here in the state of Tennessee where children have been lead poisoned by nothing, nothing in their home other than the vinyl mini blinds. And oh, here's wow. what happens if they are, again, imported. Uh, if you think about what a blind has to do, it's always being raised and lowered, so there's a lot of action going on. Well, some foreign manufacturers will add a thin layer of lead so that those slats hold up to all that action. But as they clatter together, what are they doing? They're abrading that surface and releasing the lead into the air where a child can inhale it. So it's not an issue with aluminum blinds. It's not an issue with wooden blinds. It's not an issue with bamboo blinds. It's not an issue with Vinyl blinds manufactured in the United States, but some of the really inexpensive ones that come from overseas definitely pose a lead poisoning danger. Well, we've been reading that working some jobs can actually increase uh, the risk of lead poisoning at home. Can you explain what some of those jobs would be and the protective measures that need to be taken? I sure can. For adults, adults can also become lead poisoned. 95% of them um, who we find lead poisoned in the United States is a result of something they do occupationally. Um, OSHA is the, the federal and the state TOSHA uh, organization that is taxed with making sure that what goes on in the workplace is lead safe. So if a worker is exposed to lead through his or her employment, there are a whole set of guidelines of what they need to do to be safe themselves 
and to ensure that their family at home is safe. Some of those things include showering before they leave their workplace, changing their clothes and their shoes, putting those into a plastic bag and in the trunk, and when they come home and they're laundered, it's laundered separately from the rest of the family. In fact, in some places, if those steps are ignored, then that worker can take lead on his clothing, his shoes, home to the family. And also, um, we have many cases across the United States that are documented where they didn't change clothes or shoes and the lead dust migrated to a child's car seat and in the car that exposure occurred. So making certain that those workplace practices that are already laid out are obeyed is critical to avoiding lead poisoning. Some of the some of the occupations that we particularly see as dangerous, um, bridge painters here in Tennessee, we've seen that a lot. Lead was removed from house paint. Um, it's still allowed in bridge paint when you think of what goes on outdoors and on bridges uh, that makes sense. It's still allowed in marine paint. Um, so bridge painters face a risk. Um, also, those who work in indoor shooting ranges, because a lot of ammunition still contains lead, and they're in indoors, so that uh, ability to unwittingly inhale any lead content is exacerbated. Wow. Um, there are a lot of occupations really, yeah, that expose you to lead that we just hadn't thought about before. And Bonnie, before we're out of time here, we want to wrap up with one final question. We want to know the okay. symptoms. So if our children have been exposed to lead, how are we going to know that? And if they have, is there a treatment or a cure? Okay, so one of the reasons that lead poisoning persists is that children can be lead poisoned and they don't appear to be ill. Most commonly, they don't appear to be ill, so you don't know to have them tested. So the, the recommendations are that a child should be tested at 12 months of age at their well-child check and 24 months of age at their well-child check. So if we do find that um, they've been exposed and that they have a, a high lead le level that we can figure out the source and get them away from the source. And then that level of lead in their blood will eventually decline. What doesn't happen, what can happen is any neurological damage that has already occurred cannot be reversed. That's why it's so important that we make that discovery while they still have um, three to four years of, of brain development ongoing. And now I do say, I, I want to add quickly before we go that from a physical health standpoint, you probably wouldn't notice anything amiss that a child was lead poisoned, but behaviorally, um, particularly those um, who work in early childhood education may notice because the child uh, can't sit still, isn't able to concentrate, has poor memory skills, acts out, sometimes violently. Those are some behavioral manifestations that we see when there is neurological damage. So sometimes we can tell from behavior much more than we can tell from any physical symptomology. That's why 
screening those children at an early age is absolutely critical. Wow. So we need to get in there for those well child checks and you one know, and two, age one and two, stay on track. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us today and leading this conversation on lead poison. National Lead Poison Prevention Week is now October 24th through the 30th. Yes, and definitely. Thank you both. Thank, thank you, you to your so listeners much. as well. Yes, thank you to our listeners for joining. And in the words of Bob Marley, live the life you love. And love the life you live. Take care. Happy Halloween from Sarah. <laughs> <laughs>